Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Podcast. This is Camp Slash Horrorcast Season 4, Episode 21, Hellraiser. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And just a reminder, Camp Slash Horrorcast is a weekly live videocast available on Twitch and YouTube. We go live every Monday at 8 p.m. Central Time at twitch.tv backslash wearepodcastnetwork and youtube.com backslash wearepodcastnetwork. As the Camp Slash Horrorcast is live, I will not be editing the audio for this podcast. So what you saw live is what you get here. Please come watch the stream every Monday at 8 p.m. And if you want to see the previous streams, go check out our Twitch or YouTube channel. And for a full list of future films we'll be watching, please head over to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the horror cast. I get it. So um, if y'all want, we could uh, we could we could uh, we can record or we can just have, have a nice little discussion about the movie. Whatever whatever floats y'all's boat. Oh, we're live on Twitch now. And don't do that. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, uh, I'm gonna do my best to to, to knock up. Hey everybody! Man. Hey everybody! Welcome to Camp Slash Podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am your sub head camp counselor, Jay uh, Duck. Is uh, a little bit under the weather uh, tonight. We uh, we have a bunch of people, and I'm totally not reading off a website when I go. First, we got. <laughs> Joey Johnson will tell your soul apart. Joey, how you doing? What's up, guys? How's it? You're killing it right now. <laughs> All right. Next up, we got Rafael Ramirez. We have such sights to show you. Rafael, how are you doing today, sir? Can't hear you, Raph. <laughs> Can't hear Raph. <laughs> Raph's dealing with a little, a little bit of a, a little bit of a. Uh, are you kidding me? Okay. No, there we go. Now, there we now go. We got you. All right, coming up next, we got we got Javi. No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Javi, how you doing? Get that to work. Here. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you. And finally, we got Miles. Ah, the suffering, the sweet, sweet suffering. Miles, how are you doing today, sir? Doc, I heard you weren't feeling good, but I'm so glad you're able to make it tonight. <laughs> hey, we're trying. <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah, I'm pretty tired, but it's okay. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> Annoying dog, annoying dog. Okay, we're over here. We're doing a thing. Doing a oh thing. god! This is, this hey, Miles, is post the link in uh, on the in the messenger. Look at you being sure. You look at you being all professional and shit. Yeah, dude. All right. So the way the way we're gonna do this is we're just gonna have ourselves a little bit of a chat, and then all, all of a sudden afterwards we're gonna we're gonna guilt duck into throwing in all the clips and all the all the trailer and stuff to <laughs> make it look very professional. Today we're going to go a little bit more uh, gorilla style when it comes to Hellraiser. We're going to discuss Hellraiser. All right. If I'm not mistaken, Hellraiser came out in 1987, and it was uh, Clive Barker's directorial debut. Uh, it was uh, definitely considered a you know very, very, very much an 80s type of horror movie. It introduced a lot of different elements that I don't, I don't think most of the world had ever seen before, uh, especially with the costumes of the BDSM and the very unique look of uh, at himself. So uh, before we get uh, you know, started, I think it would be good to talk about everybody's uh, history with the movie. So we'll start with Joey. Joey, tell me your history with Hellraiser. Uh, one of the first movies, horror movies I saw at a young age, one of the earliest. 
I remember uh, terrified me as a kid, and since then I've seen it too many times. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right. Next, we'll go to Raph. Raph, tell us your history with uh, Hellraiser. <laughs> I feel like here. he is dealing with some uh, yeah, some issues, man. This good. is just Raph's day, dude. Raph's been having one of those days where just, <laughs> his, his fucking headphones are just like, no, fuck you. We're not doing it. You hear me now? Yeah, we hear you. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, hear now. you. I got you. Raph, tell oh, us your God, history with the movie. So I was a little girl watching it. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I remember watching it when I was a little kid, and I remember being terrified, too, of Pinhead. Um, that was one of the fucking movies that I remember not wanting to watch by myself. And then right now when I was watching it by myself, I'm like, fuck, man, maybe I shouldn't have watched it by myself. But it was mm-hmm. really fun. Okay, how old would you say you were when you saw it the first time? I think I was probably like nine. Really? Oh, that is yeah, pretty young. That, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a lot of subject material to get into. All right. Yeah, I was I probably def- 13 or so. Wow, I gotcha. All right, uh, Javi, you, you're up next, sir. Uh, tell us about your issue with the movie. All right. About six or seven years old. Wow. I saw this. <laughs> like, I, I was also seven when I first saw Pulp Fiction. I remember getting kicked out of the living room and asked, what's a gimp? And it was just, it was uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> and now Javi's addicted I, to heroin and BDSM. <laughs> so I was like, I, I, I remember as a kid not really liking Hellraiser. I didn't even find it scary. And I was just a, a tubby little kid that was scared of his own shadow. And I was surprised that that one never got me. But like when I got older... I got, I'd be like around 11 or 12. I became scared of that movie. And now as a 35 year old man that's dead on the inside, this movie is not scary. In fact, I have, I have an interesting take that this shouldn't even be qualified as a horror movie. Ooh, that's interesting. That, that is a very interesting take. Yeah. Is that a porno to you? <laughs> Just because you come during like it doesn't make it porn, Javi. For me, I got like an anti-hero film vibe from it. I didn't really find it scary at all. Oh, antihero. That's all, that's a that's also a very interesting uh, choice. I, I, we'll we'll expand on that a little bit later. All right, and finally we'll go with uh, Miles. Miles, tell us about your history with the movie. Dude, I thought I was gonna be like the person that was on like the too young to have seen this, but I'm like in the median in this group. I was probably nine or ten. Uh, I had a cousin that showed it to me. He was the one that introduced me to a lot of uh, a lot of horror movies that I probably shouldn't have seen at the time. But I remember this one. Honestly, I remember just this one. I was like very bored during like the beginning part until like the hell until like the Cenobite showed up because I mean like other than like the one you know like naked lady there's a lot of just adults talking about like adult things for a while into this film gotcha gotcha yeah I don't think I liked it at a young age I think it was just kind of weird and disturbing and you know and exactly like Miles said till the end till you like see what as a kid you were like monsters then it kind of you know it drew me in I just wanted to see the dude with like the needles in his face and like the girl with the awkward piercings and Squidward (laughs) (laughs) Patrick 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 Stark Stark. right, guys well uh, from what I'm looking up on it uh, again this is uh, Clay Barker's directorial debut uh, as far as I know for like a major motion picture uh, budget was one million dollars. Gross fourteen point six million. Uh, it's definitely considered one of his absolute pillars. Uh, you know, you, you put this up there with Lord of Illusions, Candyman, 
you know, of course, you guys know I love Rod Rex, but again, he didn't. He wasn't a big time hands on director. This is one of the few movies he actually directed. This along, with, I believe, with Lord of Illusions and Nightbreed. Uh, how do y'all feel about uh, Clive Barker's direction in this movie? Anyone want to uh, comment on that? It was wonderful. I, I liked the way it went. Uh, it explained the movie to you. It was some freak looking for more pain, more pleasure, and he found it, which was crazy that that came out of that little box. And they were like, we're going to give you what you want, and it's going to be more than what you want. So I really liked the way he directed it, the way they, the characters were released. They all came out in the beginning, in the in one of the first scenes which was wonderful. You see Pinhead and you see everybody there. And then uh, I, I just loved it. He did a great job on it. Gotcha. gotcha. How do y'all feel about the very little screen time that Pinhead actually has compared to how much he was used for the, you know, the marketing and obviously the artwork for Cover. the movie? Yeah. It, I, re I really felt like they kind of like missed an opportunity to like have more of the Cenobites. And I think that's to me what made it, when I was a kid, what made it so boring. It was just so much fucking exposition and talking. And like the only thing that really grabbed my interest was just like you know uh, the guy in the attic, uh, Frank. Frank. Yeah. Uncle Frank. Frank. Yeah. Like I loved, I loved, I love uh, like all, like his scenes that he had with uh, the fucking woman. But yeah, it was just so much exposition, and I really didn't give a shit about the side love story between the girl and the derpy looking dude. It was just like we needed more pinhead. I think we just needed more Cenobite action. I just, but I, I do enjoy the fact that, you know, they kind of just tease you with the Cenobite thing. So the whole time you're just waiting and wanting more because that's so much better than just overusing Pinhead. I agree. You know, that's so much that. more than yeah. ruining that character. Yeah, honestly, I think that's what really went on to go badly with the sequels is like I, I said earlier, I was bored by it as a kid. I think I appreciate it a lot more now as a slow burn, though. I also see it as, as somewhat dated to some extent, just in that it is maybe a little bit too slow. Uh, but the, the use of the Cenobites, I almost equate to like uh, the way they use, uh, oh my god, Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. I mean, he's barely in that movie, but he's yeah. the thing that you remember about that movie. And then arguably, if you see too much of him, like in, I don't know, Hannibal, for instance, uh, it just takes away from like the appeal of the character to some extent. And uh, this like there's is still a... some mystery. Yeah, big mystery. Like you, and you, you leave the theater or the, you know, your basement or wherever the hell you watch this movie. You leave thinking, like, oh my god, what, like, what more of those like things could exist? And you know, you have that lingering dread in your in your mind as opposed to like what they did again with the sequels, where it's like, well, Pinhead's kind of cool. He looks neat. Let's force him into this random movie about video games for some reason. My biggest issue of character use was like, and I realized that. A few times I've like watched this like in my older years, because yeah, I agree. As a kid, I think it bummed me out the less of the Cenobites, but I like the older I get, the more I'm like, man, the hobo character is so like underutilized. The hobo demon, you know, like yeah. first off, the cricket eating the crickets thing is fucking wild. Yeah, that is one of the wildest fucking scenes. Like this girl has the worst minimum wage job ever, dealing with some <laughs> lady yelling at her about her bird, then has to deal with a homeless man eating crickets, and suddenly her boyfriend finds a back exit. Like, how the fuck did he get in there? This place, you know. But I, I feel like the hobo character could have been utilized a little more in the first one for sure. But that's but the ending's awesome. The ending rules. Now, uh, I, from what I'm gathering from most of y'all is that you kind of saw this movie at a younger age. Is this one of those movies that you find 
really is kind of built more towards an older audience. Like it's kind of like really over the head of a lot of kids that you'll feel about it. If you haven't cheated on or been cheated on, you're just not going to fully appreciate the, like yeah. the weight of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, it, it slowly, the older you get, I think it slowly becomes a little more and more of like an incel anthem. You're like, can I trust her? You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you have his case. Is she thinking about Javi's... my brother right now? <laughs> and in Javi's case, he was trying to find that box on eBay to see if he can. <laughs> I want pleasure beyond pain and pain beyond pleasure. That's Did, uh, the older, the older you get, too, the more, like you said, uh, Jay, the BDSM thing, the whole just daddy dom outfits, even that whole, there's that whole thing now in the community, you see, like, fucking bitches post, like, the hook thing, where they, like, hang people from hooks yeah. now, you mm, know? Yeah. And a lot of that as a kid, I don't even know if that was, like, you know, when we were watching, I don't know if that scene had kind of come into that yet, you know, I wasn't, you know, but... So I That's don't remember that scene from watching it as a little kid. So when it started and that guy got shredded to pieces by those meat hooks and just the fishing hook, that was fucking incredible. I'm like, holy fuck. That, that immediately pulled me in. I wanted to see more. Uh, and you got some of that, especially at the end. But uh, the girl smashing the fucking guys with the hammer and not giving a fuck, that was cold-blooded, bro. She was down to fuck cheat for that guy or do whatever for that guy you, you kind of get a little bit of a you know i'm obviously i'm i don't know if any of y'all ever watched a bunch of true crime podcasts but uh, i've become a pretty big fan of them and i kind of got this little bit of this like charles starkweather starkweather vibe from frank and the way he's able to manipulate julia into bringing these guys in even after death like is frank honestly not the the biggest bad boy Maybe in cinema history. Think he's about pull, it. He's like, pulling chicks even with, like, no skin, dude. Like, that's, that's game. No, that's game. Leg, yeah. Don't look at me. He's just he's a brain in some arms. You know? and, she, and she's like, yeah, I'll still fuck. I mean, apparently, uh, apparently Frank had the magic stick. Dude. And, I mean, I, I feel like uh, I feel like he's a little bit, you know, underappreciated. Uh, I didn't... Yeah, dude has a hog, you know it. <laughs> and, 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 and all he needs is a few more dead bodies to regrow back. You that know first scene, that wasn't his body. That was just his skull and his dick. That was all. That was all his <laughs> Mad love for Frank Colton. Uh, the actor who played Frank uh, was a guy by the name of Sean Chapman. I don't remember him in literally anything else besides this. This is like a, this is a role for a, of, of a lifetime because obviously, you know, the movie starts out with him. And, uh, you know, like y'all said, the movie's a little slow, but it starts out very fast. Like the movie is is like we're talking like a Jaws like gut punch. If y'all can remember the beginning of Jaws with that, yeah. you know, scene with the, with the yeah. teenagers like Hellraiser definitely comes out swinging. And then it says, hold on. It was almost on. a catfish if you're like a really young age because you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I want to see more people ripped apart. And it's like, oh, adults making out. What is this? Uh I know it's like you. Oh, you we, saw someone getting ripped apart. <laughs> her name was whatever. <laughs> her name. Enjoying this episode? Go check out Geekster, a dating and friends app for geeks that focuses on common interests as a way to make meaningful connections. Download today on the App Store or click the link in the description to find out more. Geekster, this is what happens when nerds collide. Geekster, available on iOS and Android. 
All right. Now, we've talked about Julia. We've talked about Frank. But we, we actually need to talk to what most people consider the actual main character of this movie, and that's uh, Christy Cotton, and that's played by Ashley Lawrence. Ashley Lawrence went to have a pretty long career, pretty much almost completely based in this movie, uh, in this movie franchise. She did Hellraiser. She did Hellraiser 2. She did a couple of the, the more direct-to-video movies. Uh well, let me hear what you guys think about about, about Ashley Lawrence's uh, as Kirsty Cotton. Tell me how y'all how y'all uh, viewed her, her acting. You know how she ranks up there with the scream queens of the eighties. Tell me tell me what y'all think about her. She was hot, and I didn't get to see her boobs. <laughs> He's been holding a grudge for four hours. That's why we're doing this podcast right now. I'm talking about the lack of titty in this film right here. You're also Bro. you're gonna seem like a great actress when you're next to whoever the fuck played Steve. <laughs> that guy is a fucking dude. When they're in the house and like all this shit's happening, he's not even asking quite like he's you like, know what I mean? He's just like I'm gonna do a ma- like, I'll do a magic trick acting. with my cigarette. It's like a hot girl it's like a hot girl who has an ugly friend. That's, kind of <laughs> That's the acting demographic between those two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought she was fine. I don't think she ranks up there with like any of the top screen queens, though. But uh, she was fine for this movie. Granted, I just I, I thought her char- her character. <laughs> I got a bit fucked up. What she did, she's like, you know, Frank Cotton. I know exactly where that bitch is. <laughs> 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 you gotta let me go. And I'm taking two. I was like, well, he was being kind of, he was being pervy though. He was. <laughs> she's <laughs> kind of a pointless character until the end. You know, her her character serves really no purpose other than to, Turn, like, save the day, I guess. Being this niche. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know where he's at. Yeah, dude. She, took off, she six nine him, like, real quick. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I don't trust that guy. I don't trust that guy. <laughs> Fucking bootlicker, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a Hellraiser. Let's call this movie bootlicker. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny. Like this movie came out like 35 years ago, and we're still like, yeah, she's still snitching. Like we still we still demonize snitches and whatnot. Like yeah, yeah. Frank Frank, uh, Frank used the lament configuration, also known as the puzzle box, to uh, uncover another dimension. Uh, lost his skin, got his ex lover to kill a multitude of people, including her current husband. And we're still like, yeah, but. You know, Kirsty didn't have to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have to go rat on him to Pinhead and all the gang. Like, what? What he do to her? Like, if this what was he 2022, do to her? 2022 version, the re- I can't wait for the remake. I, I wish it was a just spitting image remake, except the Kirsty character is just like a cab, and then like conversation. <laughs> just like, damn, this is a really fucked up situation. But I sure do hate the. It's just based in Portland. The, the Cenobites are really marginal. And you know she wants to stand up for him, <laughs> and that's on God. And that's on God. Yeah, I uh, I wanted to ask y'all because I'll I'll say this: I actually prefer Hellraiser two to Hellraiser. I think I, I don't know if it's like you know cinematically the the same like masterpiece or whatever, but like when I'm talking about just a movie that I'm going to enjoy for two hours. I think Hellraiser 2 is both uh, just more visually interesting, a little more graphic, a little, uh, I don't know, just like better story overall. Just more happens in it. Well, Hellraiser in space was 
really. I was going to ask if you guys liked any of the other sequels because some of them got really yeah, bad. No. But the first two, yeah, really the first two were good. Then they went. There's ten. But this is a big setup for Hellraiser two. You know, like yeah. Hellraiser, and I'm pretty sure Hellraiser two is like what only a couple years, maybe one year after. I'm pretty sure it was like pretty... yeah. And it used clips from Hellraiser one, which is always a great sign that it's a killer sequel. <laughs> <laughs> It's like eight minutes of just repeated clips from this movie. No, but I had no idea how many Hellraisers there were until I was looking for it on my lunch break so I could watch it. I went to Hulu and it had like, bam, Hellraiser 7, Hellraiser 8. I was like, what the fuck? I had to go to Amazon Prime to actually watch the original. Well, I, dude, uh, I think I talked about this in the group chat, but uh, Hellraiser is one of those franchises, or I may, it might have been Pinhead specifically, where it was kind of like the Fantastic Four, where a studio had the rights to that character, but it was under the condition that they made a film with that character in it every so often. So a mm. lot of those Hellraiser sequels were actually just completely unrelated scripts that they're like, oh shit, we gotta get Penhood on screen like ASAP. Let's throw him in that and call it good. Uh, and that's like why one of the episodes, it's or I'm sorry, episodes, one of the movies, the sequels, ah. it's literally like it's uh, these guys go to this video game convention in this weird mansion, no. and when they start playing the video game, it like summons Pinhead, and it's like, well, that's never happened before, but all right. <laughs> it's like a, instead of a GameCube, it's like a Lament Cube, and they just like plug it in and play Donkey Kong. But those are the ones, too, that are more geared towards <clears throat> like, again, we saw this at 13, whatever ages we saw it, we didn't enjoy it, but at 13, had I seen the Video, the video game, game one. one. I'm gonna love that one so yeah. much more because I'm a dumb fucking kid. You Same, know? yeah. I find that a lot of these Hellraisers kind of were a sign of whatever year they were in. So, I mean, if if we're gonna discuss, you know, most of the franchise, we'll forget wherever we did a podcast on the sequels anyway. So let's just go nuts. But uh, the first Hellraiser obviously was very much an introduction. I kind of got a little bit of a Gremlins vibe from it with the homeless man and like, you know, him coming back at the end. I felt that was like a small homage, nothing too big. But, um, you know, like the first time I saw it, like the BDSM, like clothing and everything, way over my head. I saw this movie when I was like 14 and I never even noticed it. I, I noticed the hooks and everything else. And like, obviously, you know, all the, the nails in his head. And I thought that was, I thought that was definitely like a Christ reference. I don't, I don't think that was subtle at all. They definitely wanted to, to go that route with it. But I felt like the second one with the asylum, I felt like that definitely kind of borrowed a little bit from Nightmare on Elm Street part three being sure. in an asylum with a, but I, what I, what, to add to your point, Miles, what I think I really liked about the sequel is um, the the introduction of that doctor, Doctor Holland or uh, Doctor Chenard. Chenard, that's his name. The one that would and, like torture like patients, essentially. And then he actually was able to uncover, and so he got to be like an actual foil. Because I want to, you know, not to give too much away of that movie. Hey everyone, it's just Duck jumping in here real quick to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you're enjoying it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And just so you know, the next section of the podcast will be clips from the movie, so you can find replays of the live video stream at twitch.tv backslash We Are Podcast Network and youtube.com backslash We Are Podcast Network. Once again, all links can be found in the description. Come check out our live stream every Monday at 8 p.m. And for a full list of future films, check out our social media. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast. And with that, back to the horror cast. I want to ping back to uh, Javi's point uh, of, of 
considering these Cenobites uh, anti-heroes. Uh, Javi, will you expand expand on that uh, that point you made earlier? I don't know. It's just something I picked up on it watching it this one time because uh, usually with villains like that, especially in that time, the villains didn't really like bargain like the main character. They were just like, I'm out to fucking kill you. But uh, for them, for them to just be like, yeah, we'll take you up on this offer. And then he even says, these are not for your eyes when they're about to kill Frank. And that's kind of like, oh, that's that's oddly in the realm of caring about what she's about to see. He's like, these aren't for your eyes. You want to get the hell out of here. It's going to get dark. Very but she didn't listen. Energy. And uh, it was just kind of like, that's that's so weird. And like when I at that point, I completely viewed the son of Bites in different ways. Like it's like they have their own rules and you either live by it or you're going to you're going to you're going to pay for it. Which like, kind of goes to maliciousness, the, which, I guess kind of goes to the dialogue where he says we're demons to some and angels to others. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's kind of a big anti-hero line, I feel like. Yeah, and Frank was getting what he asked for. So it's not like they were coming after him, you know, because they, they were bad. They were coming after him because he asked for them. He wanted more pleasure and pain, and he fucking got it. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking got that fucking it. delivery, rap. that was awesome. <laughs> Dude, the, the main the main girl is like just sitting in a safe word like before he even got the toys out. She's just like, Nope, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the safe word? I feel like Alex Jones loves Hellraiser. You got a you got a Hillary Clinton looking lady that uses people like people's blood to like promote eternal life. <laughs> Uh, He probably thinks that is Hillary Clinton, dude. Like, that's the blood he keeps talking about on his show. The adrenochrome (laughs) type thing. And it's funny because all the guys she takes back to, like, hit over the head with the hammer, they just all look like corrupt senators. They're all just, like, (laughs) balding, wearing these shitty fucking suits, dude. Like, I'm pretty sure Alex Jones at Bohemian Grove was just him walking onto a Hellraiser set. Oh, for sure, dude. (laughs) That's bootlicker. That's... (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I actually don't know what the real uh, meaning behind the term bootlegger is. So, uh, does anyone can anyone expand on that as well? Just <coughs> boots, and you're, it's like kissing their feet, basically. I'm pretty sure boots would be like the point of authority, like the military or the police uh, stomping yeah. down on the people, and the bootlickers are the people that instead of like fighting back, they're like, "Oh, thank you, sir. May I have another?" Uh, yeah. You know, lick yeah, like everybody. Like yeah, exactly. Every, yeah. Everyone with a blue, uh, blue fuck. I fucked it up. The blue, blue life mask. Ma- yeah, blue life fucking mask. It's called it's called PDSM. <laughs> <laughs> that is too fucking good. <laughs> That's a new genre on you porn. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys so uh another question i have is as far as uh other clive barker works how would you rate hellraiser in his pantheon of works like where would you kind of rank it compared to his other his other uh you know wares and whatnot for I mean, his first one's pretty fucking high because it, it 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 was great like the practical effects the writing I, the acting was good to me except for the guy jesse but other than that it was fucking awesome i think that that's it's definitely the most iconic that has lived on. Uh, I I think that Candyman was a better movie, but I don't think that Candyman at the time had the impact that that Hellraiser seemed to. And it might just be 
that Candyman uh, just was visually a less interesting looking villain. And then essentially okay. that movie too, yeah. uh, Candyman had a lot more, it felt like, uh, you know, social overtones with race issues and things of that nature versus I think that there is some, uh, like Clive Barker's a, a homosexual and clearly has some BDSM tendencies. And I think that there are aspects of that that probably shine through in this movie, but not nearly as much as the social commentary that Candyman brings. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Well, and, and a lot of people, it's 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 another one of those Mandela effect things where a lot of people don't actually uh, remember that uh, Clive Barker didn't actually direct Candyman. He was a consultant on the movie. Bernard uh, Rose actually. I thought he wrote it. it actually. He, he I, I think he definitely helped write it. He wrote The Forbidden, which is what it's based on. But the setting is, you know, it's it's in England and everything. So everything that we know as as Candyman being American and whatnot. It's definitely one of those things where it's a movie of very much of its time. Ironically, the third Hellraiser, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, came out the exact same year as Candyman. It's also so probably was, one of those things that like the people behind Candyman want to put Clive Barker's name as big as they're like legally allowed to on that that media on the advertisement just because he's associated with this popular franchise Hellraiser. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of those things where, you know, he, he was very much of the time. Uh, and like even Stephen King said, like, he's scarier than me now. But really, it was just he was just exploring. He was exploring routes that that he definitely wasn't wasn't accepting of or just something that's kind of out of his out of his, you know, wheelhouse, I would say. So I think that, you know, I think that I think that Hellraiser definitely plays a part in, in a lot of a lot of like it's it's legendary we've seen it's it's been it's been in we've seen homages in cabin in the woods uh you know any sort of like anytime like when i was growing up when i saw a rubik's cube i wouldn't go anywhere near it because <laughs> i didn't want to solve it um and then on top of that i i feel like this movie kind of really it it brings horror to it, i think it really brought horror into a a whole new light with uh, with uh, obviously the BDSM things and and our and our own secret desires because in a lot of other movies hell's coming for you whereas in this movie you're looking for hell whether you know it or not. So a lot of the a lot of the hell isn't necessarily the Cenobites, you know. There's a lot of it shows a lot of the evil of of men like sexual deviance type shit, you know. Awesome. I mean there's mm -hmm. shit. I mean, she has that one super, the first guy she brings back when he's drunk and super aggressive, you know, really pushing her into like, oh, I thought you wanted this type shit. You it know? makes, him, it, makes it very right? easy to uh, appreciate it when she brings a hammer to him. You're like, oh, yeah, it kind of gets that coming. Yeah. Which goes with the antihero. Yeah. It also goes to show you that she was crazy from the beginning. She didn't get possessed. They didn't have to. She never saw anything but Frank. And she's like, oh, I want that dick. And she went to, <laughs> on a killing spree after that. Right? Fucking wild. Yeah, that's definitely true as well. Well, all right, guys. Well, it looks like uh, we're running out of time. I, I, I tried to get this Zoom thing going up. But with these last three and a half minutes, I guess I'll just ask you guys real quick. Uh, I'll start with uh, Joey. Do you recommend this movie? Absolutely. 100%. All yeah, right. Just, I think it's a nostalgia thing too for me, though. But you know, practical. I'm always a sucker for practical effects, just in general. And uh, the meat hook scene at the end uh, and the beginning, when you first see the brain with Frank like coming out, uh, 
uh, coming out of the fucking floorboards. It just rules. It's a it's a fun watch. Uh, you know, some good late '80s horror, definitely. All right, Miles, uh, you're the next person I see on screen, so I'm going to ask you next. Uh, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, big recommend and quick recommendation to the uh, YouTube uh, Joe Blow Horror Originals. They did an interview with Doug Bradley like about a year ago. It's called "What the Fuck Happened to This Horror Celebrity?" Doug Bradley, check it out. All right, Javi, you're up next. Would you recommend this movie? Absolutely. This was a fun watch. Like I really enjoyed it. And to this day, that ending kill is still one of my favorites in horror history. Just like he's like all like fucking like hooked and he puts a smile on his face. And he says, Jesus swept. And then we're like, what the fuck does that mean? And then he gets ripped apart. Easiest well, Bible verse to memorize, dude. Well, and, and to add to that, the fact that it's not just Frank, but it's Frank, uh, you know, with the with the dad with the dad face on top of him. So it's like yeah. a it's a it's like a definitely a layered kill. So I definitely can appreciate that. And uh, also, Raphael, uh, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I do recommend it. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten a fish hook stuck in you, but the pleasure that comes out from pulling it out <laughs> and not causing any more damage. Is something incredible. I understand this movie 100%. They're, a, they're angels to wrath, is what he's saying. But also, Jay, to go back to your point, when you got a Gremlin vibe, when I was at the end, I got a definite Gremlin vibe because, like, when the Asian dude is sitting there with the box, and the guy's like, I was talking to the guy, going, no thanks. Like, All right, that's cool. I have a yep. Mogwai that I what have to sh- tell you yeah. when to check this out. <laughs> What's your pleasure? <laughs> you got the, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I got the exact same vibe. Well, all right, guys. Well, you know, hey, this is a lot of fun. You know, obviously, we're kind of doing a lot of stuff the cuff. I'm, I'm trying to figure out this Zoom stuff left or right. I'm actually going to talk to Duck about it. But uh, <laughs> this is, you know, this is fun kind of doing this. You know, we, we never did a Hellraiser podcast, and it looked like it was going to be one of those things that we could never do. So I really thank you guys for all coming together and so we can do this. Thanks uh, for starting this. Yeah, dude. Glad this happened. We miss yeah. you, Duck, but we're glad to, we got to do this. <laughs> no, it, it's it's true. Like again, I don't pretend to be Duck and Duck. You are very much missed. Trust me. There's Big time. so many things. There's so many. We things didn't have I a single up. clip or trailer, sir. No, no clip, no trailer. Camp, it's just a counselor. Jay touched me. Yeah, it's 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 literally just a bunch of it's literally just a bunch of guys hanging around a campfire just talking about. Yeah, I remember that movie. <laughs> but anyway, guys, until next time, please keep horror in your hearts. Keep and it in your hearts. Week, and next week we got another movie, which we will not uh, have the same kind of problem with. <laughs> so anyway, you guys take care. I'll talk to y'all later. Later, guys. And there it is. Thank you again so much for checking out the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And since this is Camp Slash Horrorcast, if you want to check us out live, we will be on Twitch and YouTube every Monday at 8 p.m. Central Time. You can find us at twitch.tv backslash We Are Podcast Network and youtube.com backslash We Are Podcast Network. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other podcasts here on the We Are Podcast Network. We have We Are Air, where we talk movies, entertainment, whatever the fuck we want to talk about. That's me, that's Jake, and that's Javi. We're breaking down that pop culture, and we're having so much fun. And don't forget to check out We Are Bagoo, a video game podcast, where we talk Atari to Steam and everything in between. That's me and Dr. Ethan Eastwood breaking down all that video game lore. Heroes, Jeros, a Dungeons and Distractions side quest. Me and the boys were playing some D&D. You can start that one from Season 1, Episode 1. It's a blast the whole way through. And I hate being sober. Personal stories from epic people. I sit down with some of my favorite people of all time. We talk about their trials, their tribulations, 
and their journey this far. Also, check the links in the description for our social media. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast network. With that said, hopefully we see you in the live stream. <laughs>